Welcome to another podcast with me, Toby Webb, and delighted that joining me in this podcast is Richard Bampfield, MW. So welcome to the podcast, Richard. How are you? Thank you, Toby. I'm extremely well. Good to be here. Well, I hope listeners, you can hear me okay, and Richard too. We're here at 67 Pall Mall in London, so there is a bit of background noise, but hopefully our dulcet tones will come through on the recording. Richard and I wanted to have a conversation about sustainability in wine uh, and talk a bit more about where the wine market is evolving, particularly with regard to transparency. So, Richard, you've been a master of wine for 28 years. Yes. Um, you've worked all over the world. Tell our listeners briefly, what is a master of wine exactly? So a Master of Wine, it's a, it's a qualification. It means that we've passed exams, fairly rigorous exams, as demonstrated by the, the pass rate, which is shockingly low. Uh, not because we want to <laughs> limit the growth of the Institute of Masters of Wine, simply because we, we do have high standards and we like to uphold them. Um, but these days, the Institute of Masters of Wine is becoming more and more international, and I like to think has a greater voice in the business as we both grow as an institute and we have members involved in so many sectors of wine from production to to, to marketing, sales and of course drinking. It does seem like one of the hardest qualifications I've ever come across. I understand the pass rate is pretty low. The pass rate is very low. I mean, I, I, don't th- I don't know if there is a statistic for it, but, well, one way of putting it is that at the moment about 100 people a year take the exams and every year at the moment between 15 and 20 pass. So, yeah, that's a pretty tough regime. So moving on to your views about sustainability, Richard, you've been in the industry a long time, you consult to Lidl and uh, other companies, so you have a broad overview of the the wine sector, but with that sort of knowledge of of the MW and your experience. So what are your views on where we're at with sustainability in the wine industry? Uh, Probably rather more positive now than they would have been two or three years ago. I think the wine trade has been very... uh, Uh, Myopic is probably too strong, but I think our view has been way too narrow of what sustainability is about. For, For the last two or three decades we've been talking about organics and biodynamics as if both of them are the ultimate in sustainability, which they're just not. Um, And they're also not necessarily appropriate for all wine businesses. Biodynamics, for instance, is is probably only suitable for a very small minority of producers and specifically those that can afford it. Organics is more widespread and may well be a very good option in certain parts of the world, like Chile or the south of France, but in much of the world, organics is overrated and, I would say, simply not sustainable, because of, either because of the amount of copper that has to be used as a substitute or because it's not economically sustainable. So we need a more mix-and-match approach, in your view. And, um, there are an awful lot of, sort of sustainability certification and sustainability systems in the wine sector. I mean, a recent article I read, I think, pointed out there were six or seven in the US alone. Do we need more consolidation for sort of more general global sustainability standard, or is that a bit too kind of socialist planning, you know, <laughs> global, uh, global governance for, for, the, for the horses for courses requirement? I, th- I think it would be fabulous if there was a, a, a more um, 
unified approach to the certification and also in terms of setting the criteria for what a sustainable wine business might look like. Uh, to be honest, I'd prefer to see it broadened out further than that, so it's not just wine. I'd prefer to see sustainable agriculture clearly defined and wine to be seen to have its place within that, acknowledging that some of the considerations of a wine producer may be what will be different to other sects of agriculture and may even be unique. I suppose the challenge is whose job is that to make that happen <laughs> and you know nobody ever shuts themselves down do they when they start these things it's a bit like the old joke about UN agencies you know one of them digs wells the other one fills them in you know back from the 80s and, and I suppose that the challenge is working out who is going to do that who would be best placed in an ideal world if you were in charge who would be best placed to kind of make that happen? Toby, you founded the Innovation Forum. I think you're extremely well placed to either advise on that or to consider it to yourself. But I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being slightly flippant, and the answer is I don't really know. But I do think it would be helpful if we, 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 we did define certain criteria which are general enough to accommodate the fact that different parts of the world have very different considerations when it comes to sustainability. If you're an Australian wine producer, your main concern may be water supply. If you're in Bordeaux, your big concerns at the moment are uh, disease pressure and the, what we're seeing in terms of increasing extremes of climate. If you're in South Africa, your concerns are again water supply, disease and very much in South Africa, economic sustainability. Uh, too many of the estates simply aren't economic, they don't make money. And I actually, I'd broaden that out to the rest of the world as well. I, I think wine production on its own, worldwide, is a very unprofitable business. And the wine producers, to my mind, who are making success of it, either have tremendous economies of scale, or, if they're smaller wine producers, they, they, see, they see wine production as just one part of what they do. So they might, have, they might have invested more in tourism, they might have restaurants, they might sell wine accessories, they might have a hotel, uh, they might have diversified into beer or other spirits or cider. But the successful producers, I think, are having to be much more nimble and in many parts of the world are having to rely more on pure, than purely on their wine production. And do you see a disconnect between what happens in the vineyard and what happens to the bottle and the product afterwards? Because it seems to me, having interviewed a number of winemakers, you, know, you meet these wonderful people who are incredibly passionate about their land, about their soil, and making the best possible product. But they sort of feel like their responsibility ends there. And, and you can kind of see why. I mean, yeah, they don't see the wine again once it leaves, leaves the winery. Um, whose job is that then, to try and... Build, build those things together? I mean, is it distributors? Is it the, the retailers that need to lead here? I think a lot of it is, is being driven by the, by the consumer and by the, 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 the retail trade at the moment, uh, because the retail trade ultimately are the ones that often have the loudest voice because they're the, they're the biggest buyers. And <laughs> is there a disconnect? Yes, possibly, in the sense that I think in the vineyard, there's no question in my mind that there are the majority of producers around the world really try their best to, to grow their, to manage their vineyards as sustainably as possible. 
Now, Nobody pro- wants to put chemicals on, in absolutely. agriculture. Absolutely. No one, no one wants to spend money on chemicals. So they will do their best. And with modern science, modern technology, just increased knowledge, I think more and more producers are able to manage their vineyards in a, in a sustainable way. Having said that, once wine is in bottle, we don't want it to go off. It needs to be a, a drinkable product. And therefore, there are certain stages in the process that, for most producers, have to be taken to ensure that there's no risk of the wine going off. And that's an area where, apart from sulphur dioxide, which of course is routinely stated on a a wine label as an additive, very often the, the steps in the process aren't included on a wine label. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying they should be. I think full transparency could be opening a real can of worms. I, I don't really think that the average wine drinker and wine lover wants to see on a back label may contain egg whites or may contain gelatin, which are products that can be used in the winemaking process, and which, which don't, they, they, sorry, and, and the thing is that the wine doesn't actually include those products when it's in bottle. They've been removed during the process, but they're used as agents during the process. Now, you can tell how, how confused I've got trying to explain that. You imagine trying to articulate that on the back label of a bottle of wine. It would be very difficult, and ultimately, I think it could be misleading and unhelpful. So I think we've got to be very careful about calling for total transparency. You know, be careful what you wish for. Yes, it's, it's a really difficult challenge. I mean, the wine industry is not alone there. I and mean, the other work we do, you see it in every consumer product, you know, big debates about, for example, years ago with Galaxy Chocolate, they, uh, you know, they had the Rainforest Alliance frog because the cocoa was uh, sourced using Rainforest Alliance standards from West Africa. But the palm oil, which was also in the chocolate, which came from Southeast Asia, was a challenge. Uh, now you have schemes like RSPO and others, but it's still a big question that's been going on for a long time with food products, is how many logos can you put on a label? Yes. Given yes. there are about 400 eco-labels in the world, it is a big challenge. And, and this is why it would be really helpful if there was some unified voice regarding sustainability, uh, which assembling different organisations and different countries' uh, current regulations. Like, to, th- there, are, there are one or two international bodies. I'd have thought the one that was best qualified to do so would be the OIV, the Office, Office Internationale du Vin, I think it is. Um, I would have thought they would be best qualified, but it is a huge undertaking, and they may feel that there's very little chance of reaching consensus. So it's a it's, it's, it is a it's, it is a tricky one. So if I mean, you consult to to Lidl among other companies, let's say I'm not saying this has happened, this is not a breaking news. But let's say Lidl came to you or another supermarket and said, Richard, we're really into transparency. You know, we're into sustainability. You know, Lidl has made great announcements on soy recently in terms of traceability. So they said to you, okay, help us show our consumers where their wine comes from. What, what would you advise them to do? <laughs> wow, that's a tough question. That's, uh, that is that is a tough question. I think I think uh, to be honest, the uh, my advice would already be too late. Uh, companies like Lidl, and I, I do think Lidl lead by example in the field. We're already 
going out to the cooperatives and other producers around the world who we source wines from, and we already are already talking to them about sustainability. Yeah. And what I like is that we're not just talking about to them about organics. We are talking to them about how to manage their vineyards. But when in South Africa, we're talking to them about social and economic uh, responsibility and sustainability as well. And the, the the message is slightly different in different countries. But we already have people going to talk to our our suppliers about these issues. How? But Lidl are doing that not because we want to communicate it on the label, but I think we're doing it because we just feel it's the right thing to do. It's the right way to do business, and it's the right way to build long-standing partnerships, which we're happy with, uh, with producers. And I don't think there's ever any intention to put that on a label. And as far as I know at the moment, they don't use that information in any marketing or communications. Well, as discussed, it would be very hard for them to do that. I mean, the, the two words that seem to summarise for me how this trend will work for brands is, is the, the two words of brand trust. That effectively, over time, with transparency, with good relationships with stakeholders, consumers will trust your brand to do the right thing and they don't want to know all the detail I mean even you and I you know, we know a bit about sustainability you go shopping on a Thursday night you get trying to get home you don't have time to look at every label no one ever does um, you know I buy things every now and again where I think hang on a minute I didn't even consider the sustainability of that when I bought it um, so consumers I think want to trust the brand yes um, and I think perhaps that's the, the way forward for Which the wine is, sector as well well it I mean it, 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 it certainly is and I, I agree with you totally because it's if you have got a strong brand then all your communications you know are about reinforcing the values that you associate with the brand I think wine has, is, a, is a tough one there because the wine is overall is a very non-branded sector I think I'm right in saying that there are three or four wine businesses in the world each of which have two to three percent of the world market now that is very small if you compare that to confectionery or soft drinks or, Tiny, yeah. or beer or spirits. Those are very, very small market shares. And so it's, it's, it's not easy in the wine world. Having said that, you could, you know, that many of the brands are sort of, uh, they're, they're supermarket owned label brands. So certainly in, in countries like the UK, the own labels are from Tesco or Sainsbury's or Asda. They sell large volumes. And so you, there again, it is a question of brand trust. So I, I do agree with you, but that would only cover a fairly small section of, the, of wine production. I think the other, the, the other thing I was going to add earlier, which I think is unhelpful and takes out one of the potential avenues that we could explore, is the sort of <laughs> hijacking of the term natural wine by producers who are making wines by and large with no additives at all. Now, I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all, and I, I'm, I'm not saying it's not admirable, and I actually think it's been a very much a positive move for the whole industry, because I think it's forced all wine producers to reevaluate the different steps of the process and see how they could make their wine with less intervention. So I do see it as a positive. Having said that, I think it's a shame that they use the term natural wine uh, because it's it, the implication being that wines made in any other way aren't natural 
which certainly isn't helpful. And it's, again, it is, it is patently misleading. I find it slightly amusing in a way, having sort of followed agricultural sustainability for 20 odd years, that they sort of think they can get away with it in the sense that I remember in the late 80s and early 90s, you had all these companies coming out with natural products, particularly in the US, and you've seen a really row back from that in the decades since with people saying, well, what does that mean? Yes. And natural marketing and other food substances has taken a justified beating, as far as I can tell. People say, well, what is that? What does it mean? But in, in wine, it's sort of become its own sort of sub-niche of a slightly sort of smug non-interventionist. One winemaker I interviewed said to me, um, if I invite you to my house for dinner and I show you the kitchen, say there's all the ingredients, let's just sling them in a pot and see what happens. Said, that's, that's natural winemaking to me, it's lazy. <laughs> but then you meet, you meet people who you know, are really into it and you can see that they're, they're very passionate about it. Yes. So it's a, it's a challenge. Um, let, me, let me finish off by asking you about, about easy wins. So let's say someone's listening to this podcast from the wine industry and they're thinking about easy wins. Is bottle weight one of the easiest ones to work on? I, I interviewed Olivier Juin a few months ago, a Burgundy producer, a very small producer, and I noticed that one of his bottles was significantly lighter than the other. Yes. And he said, oh yes, well... I just went to the bottler, I went to my bottle provider and said, could you please take at least a couple of hundred grams off the bottle? Yes. And they did. And he's a small producer. So that seems to me like a, an easy win. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's an easy win. Is it the right thing to do? Uh, I'm sure it is. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of producers... But the producers don't use heavy bottles just because... Just, just as a whim, they do it because it's commercially successful. There's plenty of research that demonstrates that people associate heavier weight bottles with a higher quality wine and are prepared to pay a commensurately higher price. So it, it's a tricky one. I, I mean, I, I can see why, yes, from an environmental point of view, heavy bottles are a, a no-no, definitely. But there are other considerations, and it's, well, commercial considerations for some businesses, and they, for them, I guess they outweigh the, the commercial ones, the uh, environmental ones. I find it a tricky one. Uh, yes, obviously, in an ideal world, there would be fewer heavy bottles. I think there are other much easier wins, to be honest, and I think there are other easier wins on a bigger scale, because most wines don't come in heavyweight bottles. It is a a minority section of the market. I think we're still very conservative in our approach to different packages for wine generally. The glass bottle is still seen as the staple, the template if you want. And I think that we, with modern technology, there's no doubt in my mind that wine boxes can be much more well. The, the, the quality is is not in doubt. There's no reason why wine boxes couldn't be used for higher quality wines. That's a sell though, isn't it? It is. It is. But it's got pounds for a bottle. Do I really want to buy it in a box? I I I do understand. But I, mean, I, there are, but I, I, I think there are signs in other markets that that's happening. Okay. And, you know, very often these, 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 these trends start with small players finding a niche market and right. doing it very well and attracting attention. Well, and these days, as we know, once, 
once you do attract attention, it can spread very fast. The other area I was just going to mention, which I'm excited by and uh, I'd, I'd love to see extended, is draft wine. And draft wine makes perfect sense. It is much, it's, it's more ecological all the way around. It's more ecological to, to, to ship than bottled wine. And unlike, and you know, a bit like bulk wine, that you know, the containers it's shipped in can be reused. Bulk wine still has to go into a bottle or a bag at some stage. Mm. Draft wine doesn't. It can go straight from the from the from the keg into a glass, or into a reusable bottle that someone can take home. And it, it really is like maybe I'm maybe I'm just getting incredibly sentimental in my old age. But I remember when I first used to go to Bordeaux in the 1980s. I used to go to the, the supermarkets in Bordeaux with my empty litre bottles and I would fill them up from the draft pumps, draft pumps in the supermarket. I loved buying wine that way. And maybe I just want to return to the past. I, I can't help feeling that it may be a return to the past, but it's also an indication of what we may be doing in the future. Well, if the current debate about plastics and packaging is anything to go by, we may see a significant trend in that direction soon. Is it, I think so. And the point is, it's all very well talking about recycling. And I, I, you know, obviously, like everybody, I'm a big fan of recycling. But even recycling still costs money. And there is wastage in yes. the process. Whereas if you're using something like a keg, keg to glass, there is no recycling. You're reusing the keg each time. It is a much more, it, for me, it's a much more sustainable option. Great. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. We could talk all day, but uh, listeners probably don't have all the time uh, to, to listen to us. Um, that's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, listeners, if you want to know more about Richard Bumpkin, uh, Google him, and uh, you can follow his work online, I'm sure. And in the meantime, Richard, thanks again, and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Toby. I hope so.